0: Howdy. Come come along to that volunteer event. It's going to be a rootin' tootin' time. Whatever that means, I haven't got a clue. How many of you have have had a really, really good week this week? It's been, oh, it's just been great. Just raise your hand. We're happy for you. That's good. How many of you have had an average? Yeah, nothing to write home about. It's all right, you know. How many have had such a rough week you don't even want to raise your hand when the preacher asks stupid questions like that? <laughs> How many have had an assassination attempt on your life? That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. He was called Saul at that time and he'd been preaching in a city and a bunch of guys got together. They, they wanted to kill him so they had to smuggle him out of the city. So he thought, I'll go to church, not been to this particular church before. That'll be a welcoming place. That'll be nice. And it didn't turn out too well when he went along to church, having had a very rough week. We are continuing our Others series. We're looking at this wonderful character of Barnabas. And the title of this message is, Barnabas, a brave heart with a kind heart. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. When he, when Saul, came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You know I always love to be home here at Timberline but when I am not here uh, I get the opportunity to travel and preach and teach in a variety of different churches which means that one week I can be with Pentecostals another week with Anglicans Episcopalians Baptist Methodists Salvation Army and it's fascinating and interesting and occasionally confusing because every group has their own style even when it comes to welcoming people when they come into the church. So I go to some churches where they are hugging churches. You know what I'm talking about? You know, if you you have a pulse, you get a hug. It's just mandatory. And they hug. I go to other churches where they handshake. I go to other churches, like in England, strangely. You wouldn't think this of the reserved British people, but a, a custom of ours is to kiss on the cheek. Uh, You get a kiss on the cheek. In Sicily, I preached in Sicily, and you get five kisses on the cheek. It takes 45 minutes to get into worship. And the guys do that to the guys. And so I preached there one weekend, and uh, it's the only preaching occasion I've ever come away with razor burn from. I'm like... (laughs) And it can be, we need to figure this out because, like, for example, hug to the left. Don't, don't get hug to the left. Because if you go into the left and they go, they go into the right, you headbutt the dude, right? And that's not a good start to the day. And then I go to England. I want to know are you a kissing church or just a hugging church or a handshaking church? Because I go in for the handshake or the hug. They go in for the kiss. I go over their shoulder. I get a kiss on the neck. I've been to some gatherings, Christian meetings, services in England. I came out with so many hickeys, I looked like Dracula's concubine. It was unbelievable. Can't believe I just said that. But however the welcome comes, the welcome is important. Imagine being sore. You've had a terrible week. Assassination plot. And you decide to go to church. Never been to that one before. Saul had been a Christian for three years at this point, but had never connected with the apostles in Jerusalem. So he decides to go there, but understandably, they are terrified. Why? Well, the last time Saul had been in Jerusalem, he was there as the persecutor of the church, dragging Christians from their homes, throwing them into jail... And now he shows up as a believer. Really? Oh, you're right. Sure. And they're terrified. They're thinking maybe he's a spy. Maybe he's come along to find out who shows up to this outfit so that he can later have them on his little list and put them in prison. And this must have been frustrating because it says in the literal Greek of this text that Saul kept trying to get into the fellowship. This wasn't a one-time thing. He's, please, look, I'm for real. And then Barnabas steps up. And we we don't know why Barnabas decided to believe Saul when nobody else did. The scholars have got all kinds of fascinating theories about that. One scholar says that Barnabas uh, knew Saul because they'd both been in school together at the University of Tarsus, where there was a college. Uh, We have no evidence for that. We do know that Saul played football for the University of Tarsus (laughs) team. I made that up. I'm just checking, you with me. I'm just checking. Some of you are writing that down. I was just, go, wow. We don't know, but what we do know is this. This was a junction moment. Your New Testament, my New Testament, would probably be 13 books lighter if Barnabas had not stepped up. Imagine it. The Apostle Paul, Saul as he was then, can't get into the Jerusalem church and Who knows what might have happened to him if Barnabas had not stepped up. So what can we learn from this episode? If you're following in the bulletin, follow along with me. Number one, small actions can change history. Small actions can change history. Barnabas, Barnabas is the one who steps up, but he did not know the ripple effect of his actions. I I don't think Barnabas had a clue that Saul would one day write 13 books of the New Testament. I don't think he knew that he, uh, Saul would preach the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. I, I don't think he knew that. But what he did at that moment changed the world for us. Actions, small actions can change history. This week I read about Frank Drachman Frank Drackman lost a leg in North Korea and was forced to wear an artificial limb and he was very self-conscious about that. One day he received a phone call from Bill Veck. Bill Vec was the owner of the Cleveland Indians baseball team at that time and Bill Veck had, had himself lost a leg in a World War II airplane accident and was himself forced to wear an artificial limb. And Bill said to Frank, come by my hotel, I want to talk with you and bring your swimsuit. So Frank showed up at the hotel. Bill opened the door of his room, just dressed in his swimsuit with his artificial leg there for all to see. And he said, come on, we're going to swim. Get your suit on. We're going to swim. So they went down to the swimming pool and Frank came out nervous, embarrassed about this artificial limb and Frank hopped into the pool and said, come on in, this, this is great. And they're in the pool together and Bill Veck said this. He said, Frank, I've come to date with something really important to tell you. He said, you can treat the loss of your leg as a tragedy or the greatest asset of your life. If you decide to go forward unapologetic and unashamed, not letting it get you down, people will respect you you will gain credibility. You'll be an inspiration to others or you can allow this disability to be a tragedy and that's exactly what it will be in your life. The choice is up to you. A 30-second conversation in a swimming pool and it changed that man's life for the next 45 years. And I think that can happen to all of us and it can be just small things. You know... One of the words that I'm not terribly happy with these days is awesome. 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 Because everything is awesome. I went, I went out to eat recently and I had some clam, I ordered clam chowder. And I said, I'd like some clam chowder, please. And the server said, that's awesome. It's awesome. I thought he was going to cry. Clam chowder. Now listen. A sunset is Awesome. A 70-year marriage that we celebrated here last night is awesome. Clam Chowder's is nice. But it's not awesome. And I think sometimes we project this idea that the Christian life is awesome. Yes, I woke up this morning, did a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine as I flew through the air. I landed in my cowboy boots. The angel Gabriel handed me a cup of coffee and said, Hello it's not all awesome Jesus has washed my sins away but I still have to clean the car I want to say to the dishwasher be loaded I'm worn out with this awesome Christianity Sometimes we sing songs that suggest that it's all awesome. I can hear the rush of angel wings. No, I can't. Sorry, I can't. We just lied. If I did, I wouldn't be singing about it. I'd be flat on the floor screaming like you. We've got to get out of this idea that it's all awesome and recognize, yeah, there are the beautiful supernatural moments, but there are the ordinary times that can be life changing. J.R. Miller said, There have been meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand that mysterious thing we call influence, yet every one of us continually exerts influence either to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty, or to wound, to hurt, to poison, to stain other lives. Are there, some, are there some small things we could do this week that would just make a difference to the world? Talk to that person in that group that no one else is talking to. When you're driving, let someone in if they're trying to merge, especially if they're on the wrong side of the road. Pick up that which your dog shares. Offer directions to people who look lost. Welcome someone new to your neighbourhood. Learn the first names of your acquaintances. Tip a little extra. Give a person a compliment. Look past uniforms. That guy who's fixing the drains. That lady who's emptying the waste paper bins in your office. That's a person right there. Say please when you order at a restaurant. 2,600 years ago, Aesop said, No act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. You know, kindness can lighten the darkest situation. Last night I was visiting with a friend here whose wife has just completed a very aggressive series of chemotherapy treatments. And we talked together and we cried a little together and he told me that, and some of you know this very well, that they prepare you for chemotherapy. They tell you that it may well be that at the end of the treatments, Difficult and debilitating though they are, and that's an understatement. That you can end up grieving the loss of the relationship that you develop with the wonderful medical staff who take care of you. Because every day you go in there and you know that with a smile and a word of kindness and a sympathetic understanding, listening ear, they're saving your life. And then you end the treatment and you're happy to end the treatment, but you miss those people. Why? Because they were kind. They care. What homework might we do this week? Because small actions can change history. Why not ask the Lord? Why don't we ask Him to help us with that? Secondly, generally, generally believe the best even when nobody else does. Generally believe the best even when nobody else does. Everyone's afraid of Saul but Barnabas, he enters the picture as mediator. He does that a lot in the book of Acts. And uh, he believes the best. Stephen Kendrick, in his book, The Love Dare, says, Love chooses to believe the best about people. It gives them the benefit of the doubt. It refuses to fill in the unknowns with negative assumptions. And when our worst hopes are proven to be true... Love makes every effort to deal with them and move forward. As much as possible, love focuses on the positive. Rudyard Kipling said, I always prefer to believe the best of everybody. It saves so much trouble. ever met those people who live suspicious? They cannot contain that smile that creeps onto their faces when they learn that someone else has messed up. There is an ugly gloating that takes place. What is that about? Why can't we celebrate people and believe the best? Now, would you notice, I've said generally. We, um, here at Timberline, we have a great team working in the office here. And our sermon outlines, this is information you don't need, but let me just share it with you. We, We put our sermon outlines in on Monday so that they can start looking at those and preparing those bulletins that are printed for you. And I sent my outline in for this on Monday and, uh, and then I realized I had to change it. I had to, I had to call the office and say hold the presses because there's a very dangerous statement in my outline. You see, my outline said believe the best even when nobody else does and I needed to insert the word generally. Generally. Now why did I do that? Well, Sometimes we don't need to believe the best. And there have been victims of physical and sexual abuse in churches and their voices have not been heard because people insisted on believing the best. He can, we, we can't believe that of him. He would never do that. Sometimes, believing the best means that the victim continues to be the victim, right? We need to be cautious about that. And also, we, we don't need to be naive. Um... I've experienced being ripped off by Christians. I thought because they had a fish on the back of their car that they were safe. (laughs) You don't need to be naive. And not only that, I want a few people to believe the worst about me. I don't want you to do that, but I want one or two folks in my life to believe the worst about me because I am a human being with a capacity for great stupidity. Do not say amen. More seriously, I will not say to a close friend who comes to me and says, I'm worried about you. Are you messing up in that area? I will not deflect that by saying, how dare you believe that I could be capable of that. I am capable. You are capable of great goodness and great evil. And I want one or two people in my life to believe the worst about me so they can ask the challenging questions and save me from disaster. So generally, believe the best. But there's a challenge there. Do we, tend to, do we tend to always believe the worst? Yeah, I knew it. Yeah, yeah, told you. Why do we do that? Thirdly, take the initiative which often involves risk. Take the initiative which often involves risk. Again, in the Greek, it says here that Barnabas took Saul by the hand. I love that picture. Come on, pal, let me help out here. He takes him by the hand and introduces him to the apostles. No one asks Barnabas to do that, he just steps up and does it. He takes the initiative. On your way out of this building, it is possible that you might see something that take, needs some attention. You might find a bulletin that's been dropped on the, on the, on the carpet, on the rug, whatever. And for a moment, you might be tempted to pick it up. And just as you pick up that bulletin, suddenly a little voice in your mind says, it's okay, they will take care of it. Who is they? They is little green people, who are invisible, who float around the church building at four o'clock in the morning, doing stuff that no one else wants to do. You see, we can always think that somebody else... He's going to take care of it. Why don't we initiate? Why don't we step up? And don't don't fret if no one notices. I shall now pick up this bulletin for the glory of God. (laughs) When the Apostle Paul described this little encounter here, he wrote about it in Galatians. Look at it, Galatians chapter 1. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Excuse me, Saul, Paul. Listen, dude, it didn't even mention Barnabas. It didn't mention him. But Barnabas was from the tribe of Levites. So what's that got to do with anything? The Levites used to have a very prominent role in Jewish life. But in Barnabas's time, that role had subsided. They were now taking a back seat. You'll notice this with Barnabas. He keeps having to take the back seat. The secondary role. Let's initiate. Let's not get worried if no one notices. Let's initiate in forgiving. I've met Christians who are angry and bitter and they've said something like this. Maybe you have. I'll forgive him when he asks me to forgive him. You know what you're doing? You're perpetuating the grief. You are chaining yourself to his timetable and his attitudes. And you are allowing him or her to control you still. Now I know this stuff is not easy. and I, I'm not advocating quick, easy mantras of forgiveness. Often it's a journey that we need to take. But let's be people who initiate. Number four. Be interested. It's a rare quality. Be interested. It's a rare quality. Please notice that Barnabas knew Saul's story so well that he was able to recite it. He was able to say, this guy's seen the Lord. The Lord has spoken to him. In Damascus, he has spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas has entered into Saul's story. He has listened to him. He cares. I'm going to make a statement that I don't want to make, so brace yourself. I wish I didn't have to say this. Interested people are rare. Generally speaking, and I'm not just talking out there, I'm talking us. Generally speaking, interested people are rare. We can live in a fog of self-preoccupation. You ever met people like that? They talk about themselves endless, 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, they say, Enough about me! What do you think about me? (laughs) Now part of this is because we've been raised as human beings to think that the world revolves around us. Someone said to me recently, What age would you like to be again? You know, I'm 57, 58 this year. I look older. I've had a rough life. And they said, What? What age would you like to be? And I thought, well, 20, 21 would be good. You know, I'd have hair. Not the shrinking peninsula. And then I thought, I wouldn't mind being a baby again, actually. That's kind of cool. Because being a baby, all you have to do is eat and feed me! Poop time! And every now and again all you have to do is smile at your parents and they think it's affection. It's gas. (laughs) Man, this world is a pretty nice place. I scream and they come running. And then you graduate from diapers but not from the idea that Planet world revolves around you or me. Let's step out of it. Let's grow up. Let's ask. Let's listen. Let's engage. It's rare. Paul Tournier, the celebrated psychologist, said Listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. How about being interested? Number five. Character earns us trust, not clever words. This is the last one. Character earns us trust, not clever words. They didn't trust Saul, but they trusted Barnabas who trusted Saul. Later they would trust Barnabas with the church money. Why? Because he had character. Let's be people of character. If if we say the check's in the mail, may it be in the mail. Character. But I realised when I was preparing this that that can sound a bit intimidating because some of us, you see, we have messed up and therefore we feel disqualified from being trusted. This week I read the story, some of you are familiar with it, you read it in high school or studied it in college, Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, The Scarlet Letter. The Scarlet Letter is a story of a Puritan community. And in that community lived Hester Prynne. Hester Prine committed adultery. And everybody knew of Hester Prynne's adultery because of an untimely pregnancy. And so they sentenced Hester to wear a badge of shame for the rest of her life. She would have to wear a Scarlet Letter A for adulterer or adulteress stitched on her gown. They made her stand before the community for hours silently, just wearing the badge of shame. A. And Hester Prime decided to take her past and turn it into a beautiful present. She stitched the A in gold embroidery and made it a work of art. And she became such a kind person, such a servant, that after a while, people in the community forgot that A stood for adulteress and thought that A stood for able. I love that. It doesn't minimalise the sin, it doesn't excuse it, it doesn't lead us to do something stupid. But what it does is it says, if we will give God our wretched histories... Sometimes the most compassionate people you meet are the people of an awareness of their own fragility. And they're not spinning a story about themselves which is airbrushed, but they have faced the A, or I wonder what letter it might be for you or for me. And because they've given that to God, because they've accepted His forgiveness they've actually become people of great character again. What letter might Saul have worn when he walked into church that day? M for murderer? P for persecutor? K for killer? But Barnabas stepped up and said, come on, take your hat. There's a place for you here among the forgiven people. And as I close for the second time isn't that all we are? We're not the community of the trophies of grace, perfect and pristine and shiny. We are the forgiven people. I always smile when people call Christians hypocrites. We're the ones who recognize that we've got some sin stuff. And we've allowed the letters of shame to be touched by the gold embroidery of grace. And we go, and we love, and we serve, and we pass the grace around. Come on in. You're welcome here. I love Barnabas. I want to be like him. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful story in your word. This junction moment when A man stepped up, stood in the gap, and a small action changed the world. We'd like to be like that this week. We love the awesome moments, Lord, but in the ordinary, everyday moments when angels are not noticeable, may we become angels of kindness us creatively moments when we can mo- make a difference and lighten darkness with a incidental act of kindness that may turn heads and hearts not towards us but ultimately towards you. Help us generally Lord to believe the best. We don't want to be naive and we don't want to be suspicious. God forbid that we would ever so respond to this idea that the victim's voice is not heard. But we do pray, Lord, that you will help us to run away from being fault finders who love to have their suspicions confirmed. Whatever it is in us that makes us like that. Please go deep in us. When our unhappiness with ourselves spills out into a profound unhappiness with everyone around us, help us see what's going on. Help us to take initiative, Lord, whether it comes to serving or forgiving. Pray especially for those today who, frankly, right now don't want to forgive, they have no inclination, they want to see that person suffer, even rot. Pray that you will tenderly unclench the fist of their heart so that they might come to know that the first person to benefit from the act of forgiving is the forgiver. Help us to step up, help us to be interested, help us to notice, to listen, to not be so preoccupied with our journey. that people that we meet become surplus to requirements. Help us to do that, Lord, not just to make the deal or to impress, but because we genuinely reflect your heart of interest and care in us. Help us to listen. And help us to be people of character. We pray especially for those who came in here today wearing a scarlet letter, invisible to us, prominent to them. We give you the things that we regret, that shame us the most. And we ask you, redeeming God, the God who turns things around, to even take our fragilities and our weaknesses and turn them into strengths of compassion and empathy and tenderness. Mark Twain said, we don't want to be good people in the worst possible way. We thank you too for your welcome, Lord Jesus. I want us just to keep our heads bowed for a moment. Barnabas was a wonderful guy. Quite a lot like Jesus. But Jesus is far better at welcoming far better at hospitality than Barnabas or you or me could ever be. He welcomes you today. He stretched out his hands on a cross, wide open, to welcome you and me. And everything that prevents us from knowing God was dealt with at that cross the resurrection of Jesus vindicates all that he did at the cross he's alive and he says to you if you don't know him right now come on in not just to this church, you're very welcome here but there are many great churches in this area but come on in to his purposes come on in to his love, come on in to his authority in your life invites us to invite him. Oh, kick the door down. And it may be that you're not a Christian today. Maybe your first time here, you may have been here many times. And you would like to make that choice. You're, you're weary of trying to do this by yourself. I'm going to pray a simple little prayer. And you can use this in your own heart. You don't have to say it out loud. If you want to Make that step. Use this little prayer as that step. Are you ready for that? Lord Jesus, I want to accept your invitation. I want to receive your grace, your forgiveness, your love. I'd like you to take charge of my life, rescue me from myself. my sin I invite you now to lead and guide me now for the rest of my days and forever I am calling upon your name rescue me just keep your heads bowed a moment longer if you just prayed something like that prayer, this is really significant. It's huge. You have just made that step to become a Christian. And as our heads are bowed, and as I'm looking around this auditorium now, as everyone else's heads are bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand for a moment and hold it there for a second. Just do it now. And then put it down again. Do that right now and people around the place are doing it and I want to make sure I don't miss your hand. So do me a favour, just do it again and just wave your hand a little so I can see you. That's great. And over here and on my right and over there on the right and on my left as well. I pray, Lord, for these eight or ten people who are just making the biggest step of their lives. We thank you for them. Please reveal yourself to them today. May they know the significance of what they have done. Thank you that they have called upon your name. And you come to them now as saviour and rescuer. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Hey, you know I said everything wasn't awesome. Let me tell you what's awesome about 10 people just gave their lives to Jesus now that is really awesome I and mean, we thank God for that I want to say something really important as a pastor to you you 10 or so folks who just made that decision what you just done is so, so vital this is not a little prayer you just pray before you dash off, dash off and have the dead chicken this is big let me tell you something. Some of us hear this every week so it turns into being noise. In about four minutes from now when our service is ended there will be some people standing at the front here. Now they're here for two reasons. Number one, to pray for anybody who wants prayer. But secondly, please hear this. Those eight or ten folks who just raised your hand, we have some materials that we want to put into your hands. They're free and they will help you follow through into the next steps that God has got for you. The night I became a Christian at the age of 17 they gave me one of these little books to help me. I can remember propping it open for the rest of the evening and just reading it and rereading it to try and understand what was happening. Now I know you've got people to see and places to go and things to do but I am begging you strong word, begging you to take the time to not rush off, and these people at the front here, they are relatively normal for the most part. They are nice people, and they're not going to get you to sign anything or do anything, but they 've got resources to help you. You say, Jeff, you're really pushing this. It, it matters. It matters. that's so I want to ask you to take the time to respond to that. And uh, when everybody else is heading out the door make your way here they've got those packs waiting for you well we're going to give now thanks Timberline family for your wonderful giving in tithes and offerings it's how we do what we do if you're a guest you don't have to give just put that connection card in if you would the ushers are coming we're going to sing we're going to give and if you are able and you want to stand during this as we sing and give then feel free to do so let's do that you listen up and then you say amen but I I just thought why don't we do something different this weekend, how many things? That's okay. Some of you look mildly terrified. It's not that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray a number of sentences. I'd like to invite you to pray them after me. Okay. So uh, don't try and copy the accent; that will sound wrong. But let's pray. Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Okay, I need to pause in this prayer. It's not going that well, frankly. Let's just really pray it out. Okay, let's try again. Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name.
1: Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name.
0: We thank you that we are not alone. thank you are not alone. As we move into a new week, you go with us. As we move into a new week, you go with us. Lead us, direct us. Help us, small of help us to create small moments of kindness. We offer ourselves available to you. And we give you thanks that you go with us now. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen man. You did good. God bless you. Have a great weekend. That team are here. Come and see us. We'd love to help you. Drive safely. God bless.